Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Ryan Sparks is an executive communication coach and head of communications for Bay Angels, a startup ecosystem in Silicon Valley. As top communications coach, Brian works with corporate leaders, startups, and accelerators, HR departments, and clients from all over the world who are preparing for high-stakes conversations by helping them develop their message portfolio and message delivery skills. He is an experienced business consultant with a demonstrated history of working in the higher education industry. He's passionate about building community and pairing startups with the resources, funding, education, and social capital necessary to launch, scale, and sustain their businesses. He's a certified ACC and ICF executive coach, skilled in emotional intelligence, sales, leadership, team building, and communication. And you can catch him hosting the presentation gym with Heroic Voice Academy every Thursday on LinkedIn Live, helping companies fine-tune their pitch deck. Just recently, he launched his new podcast, Silicon Valley Impact, where he speaks to global leaders and startups who are making an impact in the world. I am so excited to have you on the DealQuest podcast. Welcome, Brian. Corey, thanks for having me, man. You and I in that green room were really geeking out on these topics. So I'm excited to be here and get this to your audience. Not that we will do this, but I feel like there was some gold in there that we should just record it and release separately. So folks, listen, as you all know, any regular listeners know, you know, we have people on, on who touch all types of deals in various aspects. And I love what we're going to talk about with Brian here at Snaggle that maybe we touched on, but I don't think we've gotten into it to the depth we're going to get in here by any means. But Brian, before we get to all that and who you work with and how you help folks and how it affects deals, I want to take you back to when you were a little kid growing up, maybe 10, 12 years old. What did you want to be? Because my guess is an executive communication coach and owner of several businesses in this area. And only wasn't it when you were that age, but you tell me. No, not at all. I'm glad you hit me with that one. I loved baseball. I wanted to be a baseball player. My dad was big into sports. All my friends around me were big into sports. So I grew up watching Cal Ripken play. His first year of baseball was my first year in Little League. And I was all about the Orioles. And it kind of just carried forward being on teams, being a part of the community, being in a great family, really kind of transcended into where I am now. But to your question, baseball, sports, Corey. Love it. At what point did the reality set in that you were going to be a professional baseball player? Yeah, that was very early in my career. I think <laughs> it's like most of us. <laughs> yeah, but my dad was in business and I avoided that for years and didn't find myself back into the business world later. But I pushed baseball, football and the sports world aside. I still did the weekend warrior thing, but I never got away from the team aspect of things. I've been passionate about building culture that supports the success of the whole, the community. And so we're going to do a little dive into that today that closes deals. No question. So that's, that'll be the through line from the baseball dream. One other question, looking back, what was your first deal of any type? Could be something small when you're a kid, early in your career, whatever comes to mind. 
okay, I'm going to force things. But I could remember as a kid, and if you're a Gen Xer, you will all remember this if you played soccer. Do you remember the dollar candy bars that the Booster Club forced you to go out and sell house to house? I remember when I got my first box of candy bars and my dad said, go and sell, son, go and sell. And I went out there and I went door to door selling the candy bars and my soccer shorts and soccer shirt and said, I had all the stories. And I remember coming with all the energy and talking about with strangers. I had a lot of access to people as a kid, but the door to door thing, it all began to me. It was exciting. Love it. Love it. All right. So listen, obviously we covered some of it in your bio, but before we even hold in on the deals, just talk generally about who are your clients, who do you work with, and what are you helping with at a high level across the board? So at a high level, we work with one group is our founders, startup founders who are looking to put together messaging and communication strategies in order to get the funding they need, in order to capture the market. They have a lot of responsibilities, and I truly believe that it all comes down to communication. So we help them with that. And we help executives looking to develop their leadership skills. Clearly, in Silicon Valley, where I am, a lot of smart people, however, very siloed. And in order to make the deals, make the connections, build trust, be the leader, you've got to come out of that silo and it begins with communication. So depending on who we're working with, whether it be executives at a company who are looking to level up or more is being required of them, we work with them to kind of come outside their comfort zone with their communication skills and develop the trust because they're leading a company. It's part of their brand. If they can't communicate it, then they're not going to have the trust and the leadership necessary to capture the market nowadays. Right. So let's talk about how that fits in. I mean, you, you previewed a little bit, but this conversation of community and this conversation of team and this conversation of the elements of what it means to be on a team, right? We'll rely upon each other and build this, this alignment. How does all that play into what you do? So we were talking about before, I'm going to dive right into this. I'm a big advocate of social capital. And when you can start to figure out ways to merge communities or merge teams and bring together diverse ideas, you're going to take your innovation to another level. And the goal is in innovation. The goal is in fresh perspectives. The goal is in finding a way to bring together these diverse ideas and then find a new whole. That's where collaboration and growth and progress is really made. I mean, sure, we have our traditions, the way we do things. There are old habits that work. We've got strategies in place. We've got systems in place. I mean, being in business, we just become on system overload. But you've got to counter that and balance that with innovation. And that happens with communication, with community. And so the more communities that you have and bring together, your social capital grows. And with social capital, ultimately comes much more. So give us some examples. If you have any specific, you can use names, not use names, depending on what you're comfortable with, but give us some examples of communities coming together. Well, I got a fresh one for you, if you, you bear with me. My new sure. podcast, Silicon Valley Impact, brand new. I have multiple communities. I work with Bay Angels. We've got a huge network in Silicon Valley and throughout the world. So I'm head of communications for them. And then also I work with, well not work with, but I'm a partner with Heroic Voice Academy. We work with plug and play and a lot of startup accelerators all over the world. So I have these disjointed communities. And so I said, okay, what can I do in order to kind of bring this together into a mega community? So I started Silicon Valley Impact. So I take the leaders from Bay Angels and I take this from the startup world and I have an innovative idea come on the show. And what I then do is I then look for unique other organizations to partner with. So for example, I partnered with The Fourth Floor, which is a women's organization that helps 
women prepare for board seats, executive roles, and get funding for their company, and have brought them in. So now we have this high-energy startup world of, of angel investors, innovators from all over the world doing startup, and women who are just hungry to get in the game. And you bring these entities together, and it's fire. The feedback that we've gotten just over the last couple of months is contagious. And now it just burns. And from that, you get more ideas. More people are attracted to that. And I'm excited to see what comes. And you can't control this. It's like you bring together these communities. But what I know for sure, it serves this one fundamental need, whether you're in a company, you're on a baseball team, you're in a family or whatever you're doing, it serves the sense of belonging that people are hungry for. And when you give them that, much more will follow once again. Yeah, so I want to talk about the steps because obviously there's so many benefits that come from putting communities together like this, right? And this is a deals podcast. So one of the things we want to talk about is how this kind of stuff leads to people doing deals while recognizing that that's not the only benefit. Actually, pre-show, we were talking and I mentioned my experience in the EO community, entrepreneurs organization, which a lot of my listeners know I've been active in for a long time. And it's a non-solicitation organization where you're not supposed to be asking for business, right? It's a peer-to-peer -peer learning organization where you're supporting each other to be successful. But a lot of business gets done amongst people in that group because I can't ask you to do business, but if we build a relationship and you ask me to do something for you, I can't say yes, I just can't solicit it. But there are steps that happen, like I don't join EO and suddenly people are throwing me deals, right? That's not the way it works. So what are some of the steps that happen in those communities that lead to many, many, many benefits, including the possibility of deals? And I know you played a role in some aspects of that. Yeah. So I'll give you a high level word that we're all familiar with. And then I'll give you three things that you can do in order to kind of start moving that direction. The number one thing that you can do in order to start moving this direction into bringing communities together is have a sense of empathy. And you can do that in three ways. So for example, in the group that you're talking about, you have a shared vision. Many of you are have an understanding of where you're going. And there may be a lot of diverse ways of looking things, but still the respect of where you are all going is prevalent in the room. So that's number one, like shared vision. And how do you articulate that vision? The ability to talk about what your mission is, where you're going with your company, how you're serving people, what is your global goal? It has nothing to do with money, but what are the, your higher calling? And to be able to articulate that vision is number one. The second thing, and this is where a lot of actual deals are done on shared values. So the second thing is values. So let me give you an example. This is such a basic example. I think you and I, Corey, could agree that a huge value for us is not only community, but family. Sure. But I'm not going to sit here and argue with you, articulate to you the details, maybe over a meal or something, we can talk about our families and stuff, but I'm not going to tell you, well, family looks like this and it's my family. I'm going to let you insert your own vision of your family and honor that. But there's still that overlap of values. And so in a community, you have overlap of values. The third thing is, what are you collectively committed to? What is your vow? Like, what can I count on you for? So for example, your podcast, Corey and you, is I can count on you to put out great, authentic information about closing deals. Like the authentic viewpoints that you provide are rich. And I can count on you for that. Yep. And so when you have shared vision, when you have shared values, and I know what I can count on for you, that is the beginning point of deals moving forward, building trust. And we haven't even begun to start talking about monetizing anything. We have a relationship. And so that would be my high level one, two, three step in terms of creating that. Love that. So a lot of times on this podcast, I talk about mindset because I believe that we can talk about all of these techniques and tactics and skills that we learn or whatever. But if we don't have a mindset shift, 
usually there's limited progress available. So one of the most obvious things is transactional mindset versus relationship mindset. I'm cliche at this point. Everybody talks about building a relationship. And it's sort of like I talk about in my negotiating book. And I've had the pleasure of spending some time with William Yuri, who's the amazing international peace negotiator and co-author of Getting to Yes on the concept of win-win negotiating. And win-win negotiating is like a phenomenal thing. But the problem is it's become a cliche and everybody says it now whether they mean it or not, right? Same thing with everybody says all about relationships, whether they're looking for that next sale and don't care about anything beyond that or not, right? It's become a cliche. But let's delve into the reality of that. What is the mindset of the people who successfully bring these communities together or leverage the bringing together of those communities in a way that is authentic, that does build that trust and that relationship and that really does lead to great results, including deal opportunities. Yeah, yeah. I think it comes back to, again, the value piece that I mentioned. I love people and I believe that all people are good. I believe people are good. I mean, we see bad behavior, right? There's those parts. When you talk to these CEOs, for example, so Heroic Voice Academy is work with John Chambers, CEO of Cisco. And he is just passionate about how he communicates. Yeah. And you sense with leaders like John or Sherry DeVille, who we work with, who is also a CEO that we work with, they love people and it can feel it in their passion. It's like, yeah, they're smart. They got a great company. They're intelligent. But again, this connection that they make is driven by with empathy. And I'm not putting words in their mouth. This is a, a kind of a general assessment. They have this empathetic passion that people matter. People are good. And it's not about my dad saying, I'm going to paraphrase this. It's not so much about having people around you or having people accept you. It's about being a friend. It's not having the friend, it's being a friend and communicating these values. So this is where I geek out and get all excited. I could stand up right now and just keep going, but I'm just passionate. I think people are cool. When I meet people like you, Corey, or my business partners who I just think are just really cool people, it moves me and I want to introduce them. It's like, now I'm already thinking, as I'm sitting here talking with you, Corey, I'm thinking, I can introduce you to Anthony. I can introduce you to Sean, Breen, Kat, all these people. It's like, I want them together because good grows into amazing things. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And you and I are so aligned. And it's why it's funny because in our pre-conversation, we talked about this conversation of authority marketing and how beneficial it's been to me. And at the same time, still the biggest way that I build my business, the biggest way that I done anything, including the causes that I believe in and getting people enrolled in supporting things and whatever. Yes, maybe the things that I've done that have given me some level of profile or authority, whatever, to help people make a decision. But fundamentally, where it comes down to is that I love being with people that you get alignment on, right? I'll go back to an entrepreneurial organization example. One of the things I was president of the York chapter for two years, and he was a volunteer organization. And every, I'm not talking about like William Murray does international peace negotiations on that. We're not talking about that level, but when in a practical day-to-day level, like with being a leader of a nonprofit organization where you are business owners, it's fascinating because first of all, they're all leaders. In AO, you need a million dollars in revenue or above to qualify 200 someone members in New York at the time, running companies of a million dollars above. They all have employees. They're all visionaries. They all have, the New Yorkers, by the way, they have very strong opinions. And then I always used to say to my board, that as a board, you have the privilege of being a leader of leaders, right? And then as president, I had the privilege of being a leader of leaders of leaders, right? And one of the things that was brilliant about that experience, and I'll tie it back to what we're talking about, is that even though I don't think it's good to lead from authority or power, in any case, you can do it in your own companies, right? You can fire people if they don't do the job, right? You do have leverage over them. 
But in an organization like that, you have no leverage. I mean, you board members, they say they're going to do something. They're running a company. They're busy. All right, you can kick them off the board. All right, big deal, right? So really, the only way to successfully lead, really successfully, is to create a compelling vision, get alignment, enroll people in it, build a community where people are excited about that vision, moving towards the same direction. Yeah, have some accountability systems at a high level, hold them accountable to their word. And you also can't micromanage in that. So to me, there's so many parallels to the way that you build these sort of healthy communities and what comes about, because when it comes from a place of shared alignment, when it comes from a place of joint passion, when it comes from a place of that, as opposed to anything else, it's where I've seen not only businesses be most successful, but amazing things happen in the world by people who come together with that kind of alignment. All those elements that you're talking about, Corey, and you radiate this, and I'm not just kissing up to the host of your show here. <laughs> when you don't micromanage, when you have a lined vision, you share values, or you have a commitment, and you're humble, what naturally comes out is a high likability. It's kind of like we all can sing, but not all of us sing good. Right? <laughs> I, I am not a good singer. There are those who are. My point being is what ultimately surface is, are you likable? And when you play with these elements and you practice them and you truly have a heart for people, it's leading with heart, right? It, you talk about authority. Authority can sound controlling and a hierarchy type of thing, but I think you can still have your authority if you have the contrast. In other words, if you have that humility, if you're willing to actually empower others with it. So if you have it, like one thing that makes me really feel like chatting with you, Corey, is I mentioned this likability piece is you come across as highly likable because I feel you like me, yeah. right? It's that you give it away first. And if you have authority and then you empower someone else with authorities, such as in a nonprofit, there is this stickiness that happens. You know, people want to stick around because there's a sense of, again, back to this belonging. So if you have these high level skills or you want to see them in others, give it first, be it first. And so you do that well. Great leaders do that well as they empower people with these qualities that they naturally have themselves. Love it. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. So now you brought these great communities together and the example that you gave, and we're talking at a high level where and I'm sure there's other examples where you died, you gave a specific one. What role are you playing? I mean, obviously you mentioned the communication piece, right? And for some communication conversation could seem potentially because of this, listen, like in everything else, they're all different approaches and all different philosophies and all different whatever, right? And for some, the whole communication messaging piece could be something that is done with an agenda. So, so to achieve something and looking much more from the point of view of how does it get the audience to do something. So talk to me about how your approach and what you do with people in terms of communication plays into this bigger, more aligned kind of relationship building, trust building kind of experience we're talking about. Yeah, well, there's a lot to impact there. Oh, that's a good one. That's a workshop right there. That but <laughs> there we go. I agree with you, right? There's a problem with, again, when I tell people I love communication, People ask you all the time, and I think this is a trick to actually networking. So for people who like to network and go out there, and what is it that people usually do when they network? They'll ask you, what do you do? And then it becomes a resume conversation. Yeah. 
And so when we begin as a communications coach is it's not this head stuff anymore. We're tired of that. It's like, okay, that's mundane, but someone will come along. It's like business will be in black and white all day long. And then all of a sudden someone comes along and they're in color in the way that they communicate. So here's the alternative. What do you do? Well, I do this resume versus what do you do, Brian? And I say, Corey, I love connecting with people. I think people are naturally good and I surround myself with good people. You're one of those people. And so that's what I do with my life. That's what I do as a profession is I find good people and I get really close to them. And I just happen to do that through communications coaching. That's really where that begins is if people are important, they're going to constantly want to grow. I mean, a lot of everybody wants to make more money and that's the mass. That's the mass people. And we also need to make money to to feed ourselves. But, But then you find those who are coming from a different place. It's a shift. And as a communications coach, which I love to do, executive communication coach, I help people resonate because again, expansiveness, growth in a company requires this ability to see opportunity there, connection there, pain there, solution there. And then of course, serve. Here's another buzzword, being a servant leader. Yep. So there's that. And so as I'm tasked with Bay Angels, just with Bay Angels is bringing together large communities. So you have our angel community, which is close to 30 years old. We're one of the longest running angel networks in Silicon Valley. Sure. We have a huge community that we're trying to continue to grow there. We have the startup community, which you can feel very disconnected from each other, bringing them together. Then we have service providers. Then we have all these other players that go into bringing up the startup. So there's an ecosystem. My responsibility is now to what can I do to bring people together and show that we're effective? That's essentially what I do with Bay Angels. And it's no different than what I do to coach other C-suite individuals to do with their communities. Because right now, a big problem in corporate America is recruiting and retaining talent. Sure. And so if you want to recruit high-level talent, retain that talent, then this development of your culture is key. And not everyone sees it yet, but they will, or they're going to experience the downturn. Yeah, listen, two totally disparate things come to mind, working in reverse order. But nowadays, I mean, one of the bigger drivers of a lot of M&A deals, there's so many reasons to do an M&A deal, right? Could be geographical expansion, could be market access to certain industries, could be product, could be just scale, it could be. But one of the biggest drivers is talent acquisition these days, right? Because it's so hard to hire when you can buy the talent. The problem is if you just buy the talent, but you don't have the right communication, right? And get them aligned when they come in, great. But you bought a company, you got a lot of talented people, but then they're not happy there and they leave. So even if you're doing a deal to get talent, being able to effectively communicate a message to align folks and get them excited to be working there is absolutely crucial as well. That's a great one, Corey. How many companies have you seen lose their top talent and the deals that you need to make to keep that talent on six months, 18 months down the road until things settle in the acquisition process? I mean, I'm sure you buy this company, acquisition happens, but the CEO is like, no, I want to leave. And if he does, pretty much the top talent will go with them. And so making sure people stay in that space, I mean, you have your hands full with that. So you can put them And going back to one of the first things you said in this last segment, uh, it was very interesting to me because I think back 
in the beginning of my business, and we're going back a few decades, I built my business on networking. I left the big law practice in a very down economy. I didn't have a book of business. It was only five and a half, six years out of school. The big firms back then, I think it's true now as well. They, they didn't encourage you to develop business when you were younger. They just wanted you available to them, right? I didn't come from a family that had all these great connections. So I built my business originally on networking. I was out at every networking event. Early on, I figured this out on my own. It would have been much faster if I had somebody like you. But I, at the beginning, somebody would say to me, oh, hey, what do you do? And I'd say, I'm a lawyer. The minute you say you're a lawyer in networking event, most people's eyes are oh, another lawyer, right? Whenever. It was excited most of the time to be the lawyer. So what I started saying is, people will say to me, Corey, what do you do? I say, well, let me tell you this. I am passionate about helping businesses grow, right? And I love doing that because I work with entrepreneurs and growing companies. And not only does it have their business goals succeed, but it also affects where their kids can go to school and where they live and what kind of life they can have. And, but just the helping people do that is exciting to me. So I'm a lawyer and people would be like, wait a second. Like there'd be always a disconnect there that would be beautiful because they get enrolled in the passion of what I'm about. And then I tell them a lawyer, they would hesitate for a second because a lot of lawyers, they'd be able to do litigation or whatever. And then they would ask a follow-up question, which is, of course, what you want. They'd be like, yeah, how do you get out of the lawyer? Well, okay, now they're interested, I'm in. So it's exactly what you just recommended. I just sort of came to my trial and error back in the day. You know? Yeah, and nor another good counterintuitive place is to build trust, Corey, is with your competition. So for example, if I was a lawyer and you were a lawyer, I specialize in one area and, and I'm chatting with somebody at a network event it is advantageous to me to say to this individual, hey, what you're talking about, Corey can help you out with. And they may know, this is a hypothetical. They may go, well, he's your competition. Why would you be introducing me to your competition? I said, well, my mind is no word. Corey and I are a community. We're in the same field. He has a specialty. I have a specialty. But what happens in that moment is when I recommend you as a fellow lawyer for something, I actually got the trust. You may get the business in the moment, but I get the trust and they'll be back. And I mean, there are so many different ways in terms of being a connector, building a community, seeing your competition, seeing others around you, reframing things. And this is not manipulation. This is really back to your original question is how do you make that shift from being transactional minded versus relationship minded. And that's really what this looks like. So when you are really looking to help people and you position them for success before yourself, you're going to win. And whether it's with words or recommendations, your example was with words, you positioned yourself for, with success, you're going to build that authority. And it does not surprise me, you, Corey, or where you're at today by the strategies you've used that we're talking about today. Yeah, and, and for me, there's something fundamental in the lies that that I also talk to people a lot, and that is what is often referred to as abundance mentality, right? If you're coming from a place of scarcity, I can't tell you how many people who do exactly what I do, who are corporate deal attorneys, who are younger attorneys who have asked me for input or whatever. And there's a guy who actually was in you know, New York, and so he has an accelerator program where if you're under a million dollars in revenue, but above 250, they'll, there's a whole program to help you get up and grow and become your call, but, and he was an accelerator at the time. And a couple of people said, talk to Corey, talk to Corey. And he was like, why would Corey talk to me? He's, I do exactly what he does, corporate deal work with competitors in the same city. Why would he help me? And they just said, talk to him. Of course, I took the call, I gave him to all kinds of, input, whatever, and he was super appreciative. And to me, it's a big world out there. I just also fundamentally believe energetically, if I'm of service, I'm giving to people, it's going to come back tenfold as long as I'm not doing it 
as a quid pro quo to have that happen. I just do it because I'm passionate about helping people grow and I'm not going to be in a scarcity place that I'm going to help this million lawyers out there and thousands of corporate lawyers. I'm going to help this one guy. It's suddenly like, it's just to me that scarcity versus abundance mentality and that service mentality you talked about and that sort of giving first kind of thing really plays into all this. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about, when you're talking about recommending, hey, talk to Corey or recommending a competitor, you said a lot of people, and I agree with you, aren't attracted to the word communication, right? Like, oh, I am a good communication. It's like back in the day when I was passionate about emotional intelligence and still am, I couldn't call it character. People would look at me, I don't have a problem. Like, And then you say, well, no, emotional intelligence. They go, whoa. <laughs> and I say that to say this is back to this idea of, again, continuously finding opportunities to be of service and lead with giving, lead with giving. Oh, it, the confidence piece. People don't like the words like abundance. They don't like the words about like energy. When you confidently said, hey, go talk to Corey, people trust confidence. People trust confidence. Or if you're someone who says, I don't want to be around them because they're my competition. Hey, don't talk to them. I coach companies all the time. Don't position your competition as the enemy or yeah. else you're going to be the problem. It speaks to people unconsciously. And those little losses, we'll call them, right? Those little moments where you don't contribute to your cause, but you contaminate it, they pile up very quickly. And people will go, ah, I like your idea. It makes sense, but there's just something not right for me. Yeah. And so you don't want to position yourself as your competition is the enemy. You want to see them as your community. Yeah. So agree with that. Yeah, I get what you're saying about a lot of people don't relate to some of those words like abundance and whatever. And I do think there's a fundamental split. Like that's a big mindset jump for me when you can move out of scarcity, right? Because then generosity comes, then all that stuff you're talking about comes. Whether people come at that from a spiritual, energetic level, or just a practical level of when you're more of service to people, they're of course going to look out for you more. doesn't matter what level you relate to it on. It's, it's just something that I think is a universal truth. Any case, so yeah, you're in so many communities, whether it's obviously founders who are looking to raise capital, CEOs who are always doing, the good ones are always looking out in addition to their organic growth for deal opportunities. And communication, whether it's M&A or joint ventures or strategic lives, licensing deals, anything that comes out of these relationships that they built, like communication is obviously key on that, right? I mean, the same reason in some ways that you have a communication strategy around that goes out to your customers and clients for sales, that any communication strategy is needed to have people be attracted to you want to do deals, right? I'll give one quick example that I want to really get your input. We represent a lot of investment advisors, people in the, in the financial services space, right? It's a, the independent investment advisor space is a very growing space. The move is away from the wirehouse, the Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, UBS is out to independent fiduciary firms. Many of those firms are at the point where they're looking to grow. So every one of my clients says to me, I'm looking to grow, I'm looking to grow. If you know anybody, like I want to recruit new advisors. So in addition to the organic growth, I want to recruit other advisors, give you books of business. Maybe I want to do some acquisitions. And one of the first things I say to them is that's great. Why would they come to you? Right. In most cases, their first answer is something along the lines of, well, we really care for our clients and we're a great place to work. And God, I say to them with a smile, but somewhat directly. I say, listen, first of all, I, I believe that's the case, but let me ask you this. How many firms out there do you think, whether it's true or not, are saying the same thing? Like every single one. So what distinguishes you? Like, why would somebody come to you? What is that gets into their value proposition to these potential advisors or, or companies that would sell them, which is different than their value proposition to clients. I mean, it, there may be some overlap and it gets into their ability to communicate that, to have somebody be interested in doing a deal with them, especially nowadays. There's many years in that industry that wasn't a lot. Now there's a lot of VC, private equity funded buyers and sophisticated buyers who 
a very clear on what their model is and what their value proposition is and how do you compete with that. So talk to me a little bit. I think it's pretty obvious communications, the importance of that in terms of people who are looking to raise capital because they're pitching for money, right? And we did have last year, Prasami on who had an episode of the question focused on aspect of it. Well, let's talk about, do you work with all these CEOs who have these other opportunities to do other deals and talk about the messaging piece out to those kind of folks on how they're presenting themselves in the marketplace and how that ties into some of the stuff we've been talking about. Corey, you're going to push me down another rabbit hole that I love to talk about. So I get a lot of opportunities to interview VCs, chat with them, play golf with them, as you know, the world. And Silicon Valley, the world over, you'll see a ton of smart ideas, good products, good services. It makes sense. But the differentiating factor of whether or not someone is going to actually invest or you're going to close a deal is in my world, we call it founder fit. Is there a founder fit or the founders? Is there a founders market fit? Who are they as as the driver of this vehicle to push us across the finish line? And so I think I can't tell you how many great companies missed the boat on this where the founder isn't equipped to lead. Again, they're in a silo. They're smart. They probably created the product. But now positioning themselves to drive this high octane machine of a business to where it's potentially going to go, it oftentimes results in either the company dying because you know the percentage of companies dying or the VC or those who has money in the company taking control of it. That's sad because really this is preventable if the founder immediately goes, okay, I have to shift. I can't tell you how many professors and academia individuals who come out with a great idea and they don't shift to the CEO. It is a different shift. They're not just the founder anymore. They're actually the driver of a company. And this can be solved with communication and leadership development. Just a couple shifts. And it expands out to the team. I can't tell you how many times I've seen pitches go this way. You have a smart individual who now has a team of like-minded individuals, which is a disaster. Right. Disaster I had. We were coaching a company who just went into plug and play and they were looking to be acquired. That was their goal. Obviously, they're not building it out to go to market, but they're looking and they're going to have to. So there's that dance between being acquired and showing traction. Sure. They threw up their team slide and they had 12 people. Number one, that's too many. But they were all engineers, Corey. And here's the thing. They're surrounding themselves with probably smart individuals, but they couldn't see outside their own silo. And that is the problem. And so not only is communication about how you are messaging other people or messaging the market, but it's how aware you are of yourself, how much self-leadership you have, how you communicate to yourself, how you resolve things within yourself, how you regulate, how you drive resilience. And all these components that high-level CEOs have, these first-time entrepreneurs and startups, they don't have it yet. And all it would take is a little bit of coaching or mentoring to get them over that hump. And it's founder fit. Yeah. And I love the way you mentioned two things, and I know you play in both these areas for folks, that combination of communications and leadership training, right? Because obviously you need both, right? You need the leadership skills be able to do some of the things we talked about, whether it's communicating a vision and rolling people, right? All that stuff. You have to be able to communicate it and they get tied together. And that opportunity to work with somebody like you that have a founder or a younger CEO, whatever it is, grow in that area is, is huge. Before I ask you my final two questions, is there anything else that I haven't mentioned that you're either sort of seeing out there or something you're passionate about in terms of what you do or the entrepreneurial startup community or whatever, whatever it is, anything else you want to talk about before we Corey, Corey, you're taking the control of your own podcast. You're putting it into my hands. That's okay. I'll take that risk. I'm rolling the dice. (laughs) Wow. 
No, but I appreciate this. I mean, it can't be understated how important it is to become a better communicator that drives community to get the results that you're looking for. I thank you for this platform, this opportunity to share that, but it can't be talked about enough. I mean, the differentiator of a great company isn't necessarily always the product or the service that's being offered up. I've got to share this story. I'm going to change it because it happened just recently. I was working with this company and they were getting ready to bring a medical solution to market that has never in its form happened. Potential for Unicorn here is crystal clear and very smart team, very smart individual, had all the pedigree, had all the logos that they needed to do what they wanted to do. However, there came a moment where they were speaking with the right people, but said the wrong things because they lacked that connection. And because Silicon Valley and the business world, I mean, there's millions going after that unicorn, but it's a small world, right? It's like bad news travels at light speed. They had an interview, an interaction with a potential investor that is going to and did continue to cripple them for years. It ruined my week when this happened, Corey, and it was a communication issue on their part that will now potentially tank them. Hopefully, maybe at some point, the CEO may will step back and give it to someone else and it can reemerge, but it's going to take a lot of time. And this is the sensitivity of communication. It's power using the right words, using the wrong words. And it broke my heart. I mean, but I love this. I want to see more CEOs take advantage of the word power to move their community and their mission forward. And so I think that is really kind of the takeaway and the battle cry. Leaders communicate, grow in that space because you won't close the deals that you think you're going to close unless you beef up that skill set. Love it. Love it. Brian, people want to learn more about you. I know there's, we already mentioned the podcast. I'm sure they can get them on any of the podcasts on any of the players, but where are, where should they go to find out more about everything you have? Me, uh, LinkedIn, Brian Sparks. It's S-P-A-R-K-E-S. It's not K-S, it's K-E-S. Find me on LinkedIn, Brian Sparks. Love to connect with you. Or you can go to Brian at BrianSparks.com. Send me an email, Brian at BrianSparks.com. I love connecting with you. So keep after me and let's chat. Awesome. My final question of the podcast, Brian, is always about my highest value in life. We talked about values earlier in the podcast. I wish for me is freedom. And for me, that means everything from oppression from all people in the world to why I've been an entrepreneur for decades and haven't had a boss. But what does freedom mean to you and how does it impact your life and business? Oh man, the second you said that word, my heart just opened up. Like, I love that word. What does it mean to me? Oh, I just, it's an exhale. Yeah, I love that word. Thank you. Just, I, I want to sit in that for a minute. What does freedom mean to me? I think in freedom, there comes creativity because the second I felt that I have all these ideas and previously shut off faculty in my mind or are cut off. And now that opens up and I can think of new ideas. So freedom, geez, another rabbit hole word. Thanks, Corey. Appreciate that. <laughs> freedom. Yeah. I, creativity. I love that love integration and impact. Love it. Brian Sparks, thanks for being such a great guest on the Deal Quest podcast. Corey, you're amazing. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Deal Quest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the Deal Quest community. Join the Deal Quest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, 
but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.